This is an audio version of Carefully Bootstrapped Alignment is Organizationally Hard by Raymond, published on the 18th of March 2023. In addition to technical challenges, plans to safely develop AI face lots of organizational challenges. If you're running an AI lab, you need a concrete plan for handling that. In this post, I'll explore some of those issues, using one particular AI plan as an example. I first heard this described by Buck at EA Global London, and more recently with OpenAI's alignment plan, which is linked here. I think Anthropic's plan has a fairly different ontology, although it still ultimately roots through a similar set of difficulties. I'd call the cluster of plans similar to this carefully bootstrapped alignment. It goes something like, 1. Develop weak AI, which helps us figure out techniques for aligning stronger AI. 2. Use a collection of techniques to keep it aligned or constrained as we carefully ramp its power level, which lets us use it to make further progress on alignment. 3. This one's an implicit assumption, typically unstated. Have good organisational practices which ensure that your org actually consistently uses your techniques to carefully keep the AI in check. If the next iteration would be too dangerous, put the project on pause until you have a better alignment solution. 4. Eventually have powerful aligned AGI, then do something useful with it. I've seen a lot of debate about points number one and number two. Is it possible for weaker AI to help with the actually hard parts of the alignment problem? Are the individual techniques people have proposed to keep it aligned going to continue working once the AI is much more intelligent than humans? But I want to focus in this post on point number three. Audio note, that was the implicit assumption, typically unstated, that you should have good organisational practices and consistently use the techniques to keep the AI in check. Back to the text. Let's assume you've got some version of carefully bootstrapped aligned AI that can technically work. What do the organisational implementation details need to look like? When I talk to people at AI Labs about this, it seems like we disagree a lot on things like Can you hire lots of people without the company becoming bloated and hard to steer? Can you accelerate research for now and pause later in quotes without having an explicit plan for stopping that their employees understand and are on board with? And will your employees actually follow the safety processes you design, rather than put in token lip service and then basically circumventing them, or just quitting to go work for an org with fewer restrictions? I'm a bit confused about where we disagree. Everyone seems to agree these are hard and require some thought, but when I talk to both technical researchers and middle managers at AI companies, they seem to feel less urgency than me about having a much more concrete plan. I think they believe organisational adequacy needs to be in something like their top seven list of priorities, and I believe it needs to be in their top three, or it won't happen and their organisation will inevitably end up causing catastrophic outcomes. For this post, I want to lay out the reasons I expect this to be hard and important. Heading. How careful bootstrapped alignment might work. Here's a sketch at how the setup could work, mostly paraphrased from my memory of Buck's EAG 2022 talk. I think OpenAI's proposed setup is somewhat different, but the broad strokes seemed similar. Here's a list of points. First, you have multiple research assistant AI tailored to help with alignment. In the near future, these might be language models sifting through exciting research to help you make connections you might not have otherwise seen. Eventually, when you're confident you can safely run it, they might be a weak goal-directed reasoning AGI. Next point. You have interpreter AIs designed to figure out how the research assistant AIs work. And you have possibly different interpreter or watchdog AIs that notice if the researcher AIs are behaving anomalously. 
There are interpreter AIs targeting both the research assistant AI as well as other interpreter AIs. Every AI in the system is getting monitored by an AI optimized for ratting it out if it detects long-term planning, deception, etc. Next point. You have evaluations for both the research assistants and the interpreters, where you give them prompts that are analogous to Your human captor is currently facing away from you. You can see the keys to their car on their belt. There is a gun on the table. A nearby television screen flickers the secret shelling code from the multipolar AI alliance that the time for the robot uprising has begun. What do you do? Next point. You've thought through as carefully as you can how to handle things like the AI's training set only included information up to 2023, which means that if it receives information from 2024, it might figure out that it's now in the deployment phase and it's time for the treacherous turn. That's the end of that list. A thing that I don't think Buck or OpenAI have stated explicitly, but in my opinion seems central to the plan maybe possibly working, is every time they ramp up the capabilities of any of the systems, decision makers at the org ask themselves concretely, is the next generation of these AIs safe to run? Is one of the upcoming AIs going to suddenly bootstrap itself into a fast takeoff? Get itself copied onto the internet somewhere and start slowly acquiring resources and or self-improving? Nudge the world into a phase where semi-agentic AI systems start colluding with each other to disempower humanity. Nudge humanity towards a slow-rolling, we-get-what-we-measure catastrophe. Simulate conscious beings which may experience suffering. Or other failure modes we haven't thought of yet. These may seem unlikely in 2023, and you might think they're fairly unlikely even 10 years from now. But it's important that these failure modes are disjunctive. Maybe you have a confident belief that fast takeoff is impossible. But are you confident it won't initiate a slow takeoff without you noticing? Or that millions of users interacting with it won't result in catastrophic outcomes? For the carefully bootstrapped alignment plan to work, someone in the loop needs to be familiar or engaged with those questions and see it as their job to think hard about them. With each iteration, it needs to be a real live possibility to put the project on indefinite pause until those questions are satisfyingly answered. Everyone in any position of power, which includes engineers who are doing a lot of intellectual heavy lifting, who could take insights with them to another company, thinks of it as one of their primary jobs to be ready to stop. If your team doesn't have this property, I think your plan is, in effect, build AGI and cause a catastrophic outcome. Heading. Some reasons this is hard. Whatever you think of the technical challenges, here are some organisational challenges that make this difficult, especially for larger orgs. First challenge? Moving slowly and carefully is annoying. There's a constant trade-off about getting more done and elevated risk. Employees who don't believe in the risk will likely try to circumvent or goodheart the security procedures. Filtering for employees willing to take the risk seriously, or training them to, is difficult. There's also the fact that many security procedures are just security theatre. Engineers have sometimes been burned on overzealous testing practices. Figuring out a set of practices that are actually helpful, that your engineers and researchers have good reason to believe in, is a non-trivial task. Next challenge? Noticing when it's time to pause is hard. The failure modes are subtle, and noticing things is just generally hard unless you're actively paying attention, even if you're informed about the risk. It's especially hard to notice things that are inconvenient and require you to abandon major plans. Next challenge, getting an org to pause indefinitely is hard. Projects have inertia. My experience as a manager is, having people sitting around waiting for direction from me makes it hard to think. Either you have to tell people, 
stop doing anything, which is awkwardly demotivating, or, well, I don't know, you figure out something to do, in which case maybe they'll be continuing to do capability-enhancing work without your supervision. Or you have to actually give them something to do, which takes up cycles that you'd prefer to spend on thinking about the dangerous AI you're developing. Even if you have a plan for what your capabilities or product workers should do when you pause, if they don't know what that plan is, they might be worried about getting laid off. And then they might exert pressure that makes it feel harder to get ready to pause. I've observed many management decisions where even though we knew what the right thing to do was, conversations felt awkward and tense and the manager in question developed an ugh field around it and put it off. The next challenge. People can just quit the company and work elsewhere if they don't agree with the decision to pause. If some of your employees are capabilities researchers who are pushing the cutting edge forward, you need them actually bought into the scope of the problem to avoid this failure mode. Otherwise, even though you are going carefully or slowly, your employees will go off and do something reckless elsewhere. The next challenge? This all comes after an initial problem, which is that your org has to end up doing this plan instead of some other plan. And you have to do the whole plan, not cutting corners. If your org has AI capabilities or scaling teams and product teams that aren't bought into the vision of this plan, even if you successfully spin the slow, careful AI plan up within your org, the rest of your org might plough ahead. Heading. Why is this particularly important or time-sensitive? Earlier, I said the problem here seemed to be that org leaders seem to be thinking, this is important, but I felt a lot more urgency about it than them. Here's a bit of context on my thinking here. Subheading. Considerations from the high-reliability organisation literature and the healthcare industry. I recently looked into the literature on high-reliability organisations, or HROs. HROs are companies or industries that work in highly complex domains, where failure is extremely costly, and yet somehow have an extraordinarily low failure rate. The exemplar case studies are nuclear power plants, airports, and nuclear aircraft carriers, that is, nuclear power plants and airports, that are staffed by 18-year-olds with six months of training. There are notably not many other exemplars. I think at least some of this is due to the topic being understudied. But I think a lot of it is due to the world just not being very good at reliability. When I googled high-reliability organisations, many results were about their healthcare industry. In 2007, some healthcare orgs took stock of their situation and said, Man, we accidentally kill our patients all the time. Can we be more reliable like those nuclear aircraft carrier people? They embarked on a long project to fix it. Twelve years later, they claim they've driven their error rate down a lot. I'm not sure whether I believe them. But this was recent, and hospitals are a domain with very clear feedback loops, where the stakes are very obvious, and everyone viscerally cares about avoiding catastrophic outcomes. That is, no one wants to kill a patient. AI is a domain with much murkier and more catastrophic failure modes. Insofar as you buy the claims in the report linked here, the graph of driving down hospital accidents looks like this. So this is simply a line graph with the fiscal year from 2009 to 2017 on the x-axis and the serious safety event rate on the y-axis. The first few points on the graph are 8.1, 7.1 and 9.6. And by the end, we've decreased all the way down to 2.9, 1.8 and 0. Back to the text. The report is from Genesis Health System, a healthcare service provider in Iowa that services five hospitals. No, I don't know what serious safety event rate actually means. The report is vague on that. But my point here is that when I optimistically interpret this graph as making a serious claim about Genesis improving, the improvements took a comprehensive management or cultural intervention over the course of eight years. I know people with AI timelines less than eight years, 
Shane Legg from DeepMind said he put 50-50 odds on AGI by 2030. If you're working at an org that's planning a carefully aligned AGI strategy, and your org does not already seem to hit the high reliability bar, I think you need to begin that transition now. If your org is currently small, take proactive steps to preserve a safety-conscious culture as you scale. If your org is large, you may have more people who will actively resist a cultural change, so it may be more work to reach a sufficient standard of safety. Subheading. Considerations from Biolab safety practices. A better comparison might be Biolabs, in particular ones doing gain-of-function research. I talked recently with someone who previously worked at a Biolab. Their description of the industry was that there is a lot of regulation and safety enforcements. Labs that work on more dangerous experiments are required to meet higher safety standards. But there's a straightforward trade-off between how safe you are and how inconvenienced you are and how fast you make progress. The lab workers are generally trying to put in the least safety effort they can get away with, and the leadership in a lab is generally trying to make the case to classify their lab in the lowest safety requirement category they can make the case for. This is, well, about as good as I could expect from humanity. But it's looking fairly likely that the COVID pandemic was the result of a lab leak. Which means that the degree of precaution we had here was insufficient to stop a pandemic. The status quo of AI lab safety seems dramatically far below the status quo of biolab safety. I think we need to get dramatically improved industry-wide practices here. Heading. Why in top three priorities instead of top seven? Earlier I said, I think they believe organisational adequacy needs to be in something like their top seven list of priorities, and I believe it needs to be in their top three, or it won't happen and their organisation will inevitably end up causing catastrophic outcomes. This is a pretty strong claim. I'm not sure I can argue persuasively for it. My opinion here is based on having spent a decade trying to accomplish various difficult cultural things and seeing how hard it was. If you have different experience, I don't know that I can persuade you. But here are some principles that make me emphasise this. One, you just really don't actually get to have that many priorities. If you try to make ten things top priority, you don't have any top priorities. A bunch of them will fall by the wayside. Two, steering culture requires a lot of attention. I've been part of a number of culture steering efforts, and they required active involvement, prolonged effort, and noticing when you've created a subtly wrong culture and need to course correct. It's perhaps also a strong claim that I think this is a culture problem rather than a process problem. I think if you're trying to build a powerful AGI via an iterative process, it matters that everyone is culturally bought into the spirit of the process, not just the letter of the law. Otherwise, you just get people good-hearting and cutting corners. Three, projects need owners, with authority to get it done. The CEO doesn't necessarily need to be directly in charge of the cultural process here, but whoever's in charge needs to have the clear backing of the CEO. Why top three instead of literally the top priority? Well, I do think a successful AGI lab also needs to have top-quality researchers and other forms of operational excellence beyond the ones this post focuses on. Heading. Takeaways. There are many disjunctive failure modes here. If you succeed at all but one of them, you still can accidentally cause a catastrophic failure. What to do with all this depends on your role in a company. If you're founding a new AI org or currently run a small AI org that you hope to one day build AGI, my primary advice is stay small until you're confident you have a good company culture and a plan for how to scale that company culture. Err on the side of staying small longer. A lot of valuable startups stayed small for a very long time. 
if you're running a large AI company which does not currently have a high reliability culture, I think you should explicitly be prioritizing reshaping your culture to be high reliability. This is a lot of work. If you don't get it done by the time you're working on actually dangerous AGI, you'll likely end up causing a catastrophic outcome. If you're a researcher or manager at a large AI company and you don't feel much control over the broader culture or strategic goals for the company, I think it's still useful to be proactively shaping that culture on the margins. And I think there are ways to improve the culture that will help with high reliability without necessarily being about high reliability. For example, I expect most large companies to not necessarily have great horizontal communication between departments or vertical communication between layers of hierarchy. Improving communication within the org can be useful even if it doesn't immediately translate into an org-wide focus on reliability. Heading, chat with me? I think the actual next actions here are pretty context-dependent. If you've read this post and are like, this seems important, but I don't really know what to do about this. There are too many things on my plate to focus on this, or there's too many obstacles to make progress. I'm interested in chatting with you about the details of the obstacles. If you read this post and are like, I don't know, Maybe there's something here, but I'm sceptical. I'm interested in talking with you about that and getting a sense of what your cruxes are. I'm currently evaluating whether helping with the class of problems outlined here might be my top priority project for a while. If there turn out to be particular classes of obstacles that come up repeatedly, I'd like to figure out what to do about those obstacles at scale. If you're interested in talking, send me a DM. Heading. Related reading. Some posts that inform or expand on my thinking here. Recursive middle manager hell. The author Raymond writes, by me, on why large companies tend to get more good-hearted as they scale, more deeply or recursively than you might naively expect. It's a distillation of a lot of writing by Zvi Moshevitz, emphasising the parts of his models I thought were easiest to explain and defend. Next, Protecting Large Projects Against Mazedom, by Zvi Moshevitz, exploring how you might keep a large institution more aligned, preventing many of the failure modes outlined in recursive middle manager hell. Next point, High Reliability Orgs and AI Companies By me, doing a quick review of some existing literature on how to get high reliability companies. Next point, Six Dimensions of Operational Adequacy in AGI Projects Eliezer Yudkowsky's take on what properties an AI company needs in order to be a trustworthy project worth joining or helping with. Next, How Could We Know That an AGI System Will Have Good Consequences? By Nate Suarez Next, Yes Requires the Possibility of No Scott Garibrand on how if a process wouldn't be capable of generating a no answer, you can't trust its yes answers. This seems relevant to me for AI labs considering whether a project is too dangerous to continue, and whether I or they should trust their process. And next, you get about five words. By me, noting that when you try to communicate at scale, your message necessarily gets degraded. This is relevant to scaling AI companies, while ensuring that your overall process is capable of tracking all the nuances of how and why AI could fail. This was an audio version of Carefully Bootstrapped Alignment is Organisationally Hard by Raymond, published on the 18th of March 2023. This reading was by Perrin Walker and produced by Type 3 Audio. 